in the sky, gazing far into the night. I raise my hand to the fire, but it's no use, cause you can't stop it from shining through. It's true, baby, let the light shine through. If you believe it's Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Thursday's Theology Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm your host, and welcome to the first episode of 2019. Uh, joining me today, I have my lovely wife, Chrissy, again. Hello. Hey. Um, and today, we are going to be discussing the most hotly debated controversy to come out of evangelical Christian theology in the past year, and that is, is God's love reckless? Is God's love reckless? You're laughing at me. Why is that? Because the lead up to that was just ridiculous. But okay. <laughs> it's it, it is it, it's it is a kind of a ridiculous debate, though. I mean, in, in my opinion, I think it's a ridiculous debate. But that is, there's a lot of people who are questioning if those if the lyrics are, you know, actually accurate of who God is. Now, if you if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, there's a song called "Reckless Love" uh, by Corey Ashbury and. Uh, Basically, the chorus, I'll, I'll read you the lyrics to the chorus, but basically what this song um, has caused is it's caused a deep-seated, um, not revolution, that's a, <laughs> a deep-seated conversation about the nature of God's love. And I think it's a good conversation to have, but I think some of the conclusions that people draw are kind of negatively informed. But uh, this is the chorus for Reckless Love, and it says... Um, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Now, again, this uh, this song has caused a lot of, of controversy, Chrissy, and that is... Has it really? It really has. It, in fact, I, I thought it was a joke when I first you know started reading about it, but... I've actually read a lot of articles um, basically disagreeing with this uh, song saying there's no possible way that God's love could be reckless. So, Okay, but like, what are those arguments? Um, I think the arguments are that, that God um, doesn't do anything recklessly, that everything that is done by God is with purpose and intent and desire. Um, so for us to think about God's love as reckless is to question the character of, of who God is, I guess. Does that make sense? I guess. <laughs> you guess. <laughs> that that means no. <laughs> what what are, what are you thinking? No, like I, I understand in some extent, like we believe like or there are <laughs> Christians that would likely agree we believe in a God who is sovereign and who like knows all and therefore like I guess, like, one could say, like, God is calculated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, even the extravagant gift of, like, Jesus on the cross, that was still a calculated cost. Like, Mm. I could see that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's also kind of missing the point. Sure. What do you think the point is? Um, Well, I mean, it's a song. And so there is, I think think in music some poetic liberty that being said like a lot of christian music and worship music does inform our theology Mm -hmm. um so like it it 
maybe is good to question what do we mean when we say God's love is reckless. Um, but I think mostly it's saying from a human perspective, it just makes no sense. Mm. Um, and so it to us appears or seems or feels reckless in the most loving way. Sure. Okay, I want to get back to that point in just a second, but um, I think that one of the things that uh, really kind of stands out to me is what you were saying about this being a worship song and, and kind of keeping that into in the focus. Um, however, there is there are studies that have been done that show that um, congregations get about 70% of their theology, 70% about their understanding of who God is through song. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and I think it's because just the, the science of how songs work and music works in the brain and memory and stuff like that but uh about 70 percent of people's theology is formed by the songs we sing so that that carries a lot of weight when we do sing this song because it does um have a massive impact on how we view god but going back to your point about how um from our standpoint our, our point of view it can seem reckless um Something that you talked about, I think, last podcast or the podcast before um, was about the myth of scarcity and how that kind of plays into um, our understanding of who God is. So I wanted to tease that out a little bit because I think that our understanding of of scarcity also is informed by or can also inform our view of of this song and and who God is. So so first of all, for those who don't know what the myth of scarcity is, what in your own words, what is the myth of scarcity? I honestly don't remember talking about that, but um, <laughs> I would say just the belief that there's not enough to go around of whatever it is. Like, that could be money, that could be love, worth, um, value. There's just believing there's not enough for everyone to, like, have that equitably. Right. So basically it's the belief that there's not enough to go around so I have to basically look out for my own self and and protect and hoard what I can for myself. Yes. Okay. So what is so toxic about that when we project that onto God? Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, well, I think like the point of at least what I like see especially in regards to this song is like God blows that notion out of the water right um and like (laughs) like it's all about how like God is fighting for us and pursuing us and like nothing can get in the way of God's love for us is Mm. basically like what this song is going towards or at least the way I understand it and Mm -hmm. so like it's hard to understand and viewed as reckless because like just the lavish amount or the like how how lavishly god loves us or how much god pursues us we cannot comprehend that even just for one person much less how god can do that for everyone right um so like if you look at stories of like the prodigal son or whatever like um it's a it's an amount of pursuit that just like makes no sense and Mm. um 
Sorry, I'm losing my words. Here. No, no, no. It's it's good because I think the the prodigal son actually gives us a good jumping off point because uh, the prodigal son in Luke 15 is preceded by the lost sheep and the lost coin, and I think that's where a lot of people um, can get upset in this conversation because those who are pro reckless love, I guess. Uh, by the way, this is the biggest controversy to hit Christian churches since uh, sloppy wet versus unforeseen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> for for sake of, of of clarity, which which camp do you fall in? Is it unforeseen or sloppy wet? Ooh, Ooh. <laughs> that's hard because I know it was originally meant as sloppy wet, um, but I generally sing unforeseen. Hmm. Interesting. That's interesting, because when I think sloppy wet, I, I think, like, a dog jumping up and licking your face. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because it's, like, it's a pretty song, and then those lyrics just, like, seem... I I mean, it's meant to be, like, whoa! But anyways, we're getting off track. Right, we're getting off track. Um, um, anyway, going back to the, the lost sheep in Luke 15, um, a lot of people who are pro-reckless love talk about how it makes no sense that, that God would leave, or at least this shepherd um, would leave the flock of 99 to go pursue the one. Um, in fact, that's a line in the song itself where it says, um, do, 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 do. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, in, in, the, in the chorus. Uh, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. So that's a direct reference to Luke 15 and the parable of the lost sheep because it's basically talking about how the shepherd just straight up leaves the flock of 99 to go pursue the one. And I think whenever we've talked about that in, you know, conversations between you and me or whether it's with college students or junior high or high school students, we always point out the fact that this is kind of a ridiculous thing that the shepherd leaves the flock to go pursue the one, right? It appears reckless. <laughs> yeah, it appears reckless, right? Um, so I wanted to ask this question because this is the question that I think has been really, really uh, rattling around when it comes to the song and that is what's at stake for us if god's love is reckless like what what does it mean for us how how does it change how we perceive god how, what what's at stake for us if we were to get a direct phone call from from jesus saying like oh yeah by the way god's love is reckless like what's what's the cost what, what's at stake for us do you think I don't know if I understand the question. I think I'm thinking from the point of view of people who are very opposed to the idea of God's love being reckless. Like if they were to receive a word from God tomorrow saying my love is reckless, what what would change for them? Like what what's at what's the cost? What's at stake? If that makes sense. Yeah, um I don't know if I know how to answer that. Like I think I can see the, the gears turning. Yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> I just there are moments that I think people need to have that like really open our eyes or give us a sense of how lavishly God loves us. Hmm. Um, because those I feel like are the most transformative moments in realizing how how you are a beloved child of God and that belovedness is not based on anything that you did or will do or can do mm -hmm. um, and to just be overwhelmed with how with this sense of being loved mm -hmm. like that is a transformative moment that I think like 
all Christians should have because that is what actually leads us into then like being who God created us to be in the world. Right. Um, and doing what God created us to do in the world. Yeah. Um, so I don't really fully know how to answer the question or if that answered at all, but. Well, no, it, it does. Yes and no. <laughs> it's an encounter with God is at stake, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't. I don't know if we can ever fully comprehend God, but it's like embracing that lavishness or recklessness of God's love and like how much it doesn't make sense and how much like we are to be overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. Like that is an encounter with God. And like if you're resisting that, like I think like there is something at stake there. Right. Um, and maybe it's just not knowing the fullness of who God created you to be. I don't know. Hmm. So your response does and does not answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the reason I, I say that is because as you were sharing that, it, it made me think of how this song is actually a manifested in the parable of the prodigal son. Because you have the son who goes off and, and leaves the father. Like that's the whole story revolves around him and, and his interaction with the father. But one of the characters in that story is the older brother. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that drives me nuts about this parable is, is that Jesus doesn't complete the story. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus leaves us hanging because <laughs> basically he says that um, the, the party has started, there's dancing going on. The older brother comes back and asks the servant like, Hey, what's going on? And they said, Hey, your brother who was dead is now alive. He was lost and now he's found your father uh, slaughtered the fattened calf and the party's on. And, like, the older brother refuses to go in. So the father leaves the household again, um, comes out, talks to him, and says, you know, we have to celebrate. Your your, your brother was, was lost, and, and now he's found. And that's it. That's it. So, like, it doesn't tell us if the older brother chooses to go back into the, the celebration of his younger brother. It just leaves us hanging with this, this uh, picture of the older brother kind of standing outside, gritting his teeth while he observes what's going on inside. And I think, I think what's going on in this, in this passage is that Jesus is, is telling us that we're the older brothers, that we have to decide for ourselves how we're going to respond. Mm -hmm. Because in the older brother's mind, and this is how it ties into this whole idea of reckless love, in the older brother's mind, the father is being reckless with his resources in celebrating the return of his um, son that, that cursed him to death and, and walked away and walked off, you know. And wasted half his resources. And wasted <laughs> half his resources, exactly. Yeah. So, to the older brother, the father's son, the the, fa I'm getting ahead of myself. To the older brother, the father's love for the younger son is completely reckless and out of control, right? Mm -hmm. So, the reason I say that is because I think going back to your response, I think you're correct in saying that what's at stake is an encounter with Christ and an encounter with who God is. Because the older brother had that encounter with God, but God asked him to come into the celebration with him. So it's up to the older brother to decide whether or not he wants to further that encounter with God and with others, or to hold on to his own uh, mentality and stand outside. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, I think both in what I was saying and as it relates to the brother and the older brother in the story, like... I think there is like a fullness of life full of joy and celebration and 
like a freedom that is found in knowing how loved we are by God um, and who we are um, as God's beloved. Like there's a freedom in that. And when you live out of that place, like that is a much better way to live. And so like I never want to go as so far to say as like people's salvation is at stake, but mm. it's our our lives and ha- like our ability to live into like the the celebration of like god here and now Hmm. um as opposed to just waiting till we die yeah i think like yeah our present our present joy is at stake i think yeah something i want to circle back to um is this idea of the myth of scarcity because i think that that also informs our our opinion of why or why not we think god's love is reckless because one of the um so I'm going to put on my nerdy theological hat, not that I haven't been wearing it the whole time, but I'm going to put on my nerdy theological hat for a second and talk about the parable of the wedding banquet. And basically the parable of the wedding banquet goes like this. Um, there is a son who's getting married and the father decides to throw this banquet. He invites a ton of people, the the neighbors, the the friends, the, the family, all them. Um, but they all say like, oh, I have business to attend to. I have a field to go to crop i'm not a farmer i don't know what's going on um but uh he all of them give excuses so then the 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 father's just like okay he instructs the servants go out and find anybody you can bring them into the wedding feast and tell them that the fattened calves have been been prepared and the feast is ready all you have to do is show up right so this idea of fattened calves i think again we we kind of blow over these details when we're reading the bible um but the fattened calf is a very, very important thing because it, it comes up in the prodigal son story too. And basically the fattened calf is, is an animal in, in Jewish society that was set aside from its birth to be fed a special diet. So it got really, really fat. And then it would be killed and prepared only for very, very special occasions, such as a wedding or or maybe a sacrifice to God. But um, it was set aside for the specific purpose of celebration. So the fact that the father and the prodigal son kills the fattened calf shows the lengths to which he uh, is willing to go to celebrate the return of his son, right? Because this animal, again, has been set aside from birth for the purpose of, of a celebration feast. Now, going back to the parable of the wedding banquet, um, the master, the father, instructs his servants to tell them that the fattened calves have been slaughtered and prepared. So the fact that it's a plural means that this guy is loaded. Like, he is, we're talking like, you know, santa barbara amount of money right here (laughs) just kidding (laughs) we're talking about a ridiculous amount of money being spent on this wedding feast like the fattened calves like not every single jewish family was able to afford just one calf like normally they all went in and pooled their resources so they could have a calf but this guy this single guy basically has multiple calves that he has prepared for the wedding feast so there is like nothing being held back in in the celebration of this marriage of his son um so the myth of scarcity i think is an important one for us to understand because when we look at god and we look at how god um lavishes us in celebration and in in love and joy and and all that sort of stuff we see it as reckless because we are judging it based on our own um material understanding because why why would we sell everything we have? Why would we kill the fattened calves to celebrate 
the return of a lost son. Why would we ever put all of our wealth on the line to to celebrate a um, a delinquent sibling? You know, it, it, it makes no sense. But that's because we're judging it from our own point of view. So when we say that God's love can never be reckless, or at least some people say that God's love can't be reckless, it's ignoring the fact that God has more than any any other person or entity in in the entire universe (laughs) like the entirety of the universe is at his beck and call so when we say that god's love is not reckless then we misunderstand that god is the god of creation and can create anything you know (laughs) there literally are no limits there yeah there literally are no limits so anyway i i can see you forming some thoughts or or whatever no what what do you think about what I said though? Like it doesn't make sense, does it? Does it not? Yeah, I mean it adds like biblical basis for just like how lavish God is. Yeah. Yeah. And like examples of like from the beginning, like Jesus trying to like get this in people's minds, like you don't understand how ridiculous this is. Yeah. Um one one more parable I want to share uh with you that I think really kind of typifies this and, and really kind of encapsulates how we as humans react when when we view god's lavishness and and i think generosity is, a, is another word we can throw in there too um it's the parable of the, of the vineyard tenants and basically what goes on there is that the there's a guy who owns a vineyard he goes out at the break of dawn to hire some dudes and says like i will pay you a denarii which is a full day's wages to to come and work the field so they're like yeah that's fine we agree to that we'll go work for you so they go to the field at nine in the morning, the guy goes back out to the town square. There's still people standing around. He's like, come and work for me in my field uh, for the day, and I'll pay you a day's wages. They're like, perfect. So he goes out at noon, and he goes out at sunset and does all the same thing, telling the workers, I will pay you a full day's wage for you to come and work. And then when they, uh, at the end of the day, when it comes to time for payment, the, <laughs> the uh, owner of the vineyard pays the people he paid, or he pays the people he hired last. So basically, he pays the ones he hired at sunset a full day's wage and then the ones at three a full day's wage and the guys who were hired at the very beginning of the day were just like man if they're getting a full day's wage like just wait like we're gonna get so much more it's gonna be great and then they get a full day's wage and they're just like they're pissed off they're like what the what the hell like i've, I've worked all day and like the, you hired these dudes at six o'clock at night to work a couple hours and they got a full day's wage like what what's going on and the vineyard owner's response is really really profound and that is you agreed to work in the field for a full day, for a full day's wages. Like you, that's what you agreed to. So who, who are you to tell me how to, to use my generosity? Who are you to tell me how and how I can't pay, how I can and cannot pay my, my workers? And that, reading that for me, it just blew my mind. I was just like, man, I, I thought the, I thought the guys that were hired at the very beginning of the day actually had like a, a legit argument <laughs> yeah that one really does seem unfair um but i would say sorry were you done yeah okay. no, no I'm, good. I'm good i'm good um i would say though like i mean obviously when it comes to like wages and work and stuff like we have ideas of like fairness and all that that are like i suppose legitimate um but like i think the point when it comes to god is like we don't understand like how great 
the thing is that we're being given. Mm. And so, like, the fact that that's equally available to all people, like, should be overwhelming. But it's also, like, it should just be overwhelming the fact of, like, what we've been given Mm. as an individual. And, like, out of gratitude and joy for what we receive, that's, like, our motivation to share it with everyone else. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the wages parable is a hard one for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is for me too. Um, because, like, when we think in those little literal terms, like, it does feel very unfair. But when it comes to what God has given us, like, I think it'd be like if at the start of the day they were offered to be paid for, like, five days for just working one day. Like, it was already, like, they were being paid a ridiculous amount for the work that they did. Mm-hmm. And then even those that worked, like, a partial day, if they still got that, like, in some ways we would still be like, yeah, that's unfair. Like, they worked less. But at the same time, it's like, you just got paid for five days for working one. So, yeah. like, who are you to really complain? Yeah. No, um, and, and again, a perfect example of this uh, is two parables. I, I'm full of parables oh today. <laughs> Actually, no, Jesus was full of parables. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just full of, <laughs> yeah. of reading what Jesus had to say. <laughs> You're um, just a copycat. I'm just a copycat. Um, I'm just a little Christ, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, so a couple parables come to mind. One uh, one quickly I want to talk about, and then the other one I actually want to dive into a little bit more. Uh, one is the unmerciful servant, where basically he owes an insurmountable debt to, to the uh, master of the house. Um, it talks about, I think it's like, oh gosh, 100 bags of... of silver or something it was a ridiculous amount and and there was actually a um (laughs) a statistician at biola university that that crunched the numbers about like you know inflation and just how much that would be in in modern money and he talked about how it was over i think eight billion dollars a gajillion dollars yeah basically (laughs) like the the point of it is is that there's no way that this this servant could pay it back that's that's kind of the point of it um so then the master says you know i'll the the servant throws himself at the master's mercy and says i i will pay back just give me some time i'll pay it back and the master says it's don't worry about it i've i've erased it and then he goes off and like goes to the another servant and just like beats him up and throws him in jail for owing him like 20 bucks you know so i think it lines up exactly with what you're saying is like we don't we cannot even begin to comprehend the the gracious generous gift that we've been given mm-hmm. um so there's that and then uh what was the other parable oh the parable of the, um, um, blanking on the name of it, but essentially it's it's told in response to the Pharisees, and basically Jesus talks about how there was a guy who built a vineyard and built a watchtower and dug a pit and like built a wall and hired laborers to, to tend the field and said when I when the harvest time comes I'm gonna send some some people to gather it and bring it to me. And they're like yeah that's fine, so they send the the people at the harvest. Um, the the tenants grab them, beat them, torture them, kill them. Harsh. Yeah, and then the master sends even more servants to to collect, and even they're mistreated. So then the, the master's just like, surely, I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. And they end up saying, like, oh, here's the son. Like, if we kill him, then the inheritance is ours. But the whole point of that is, like, it's, you know, the prophets being sent, the judges being sent, and then Jesus being sent. Of course, that's what's going on. Um, but then Jesus asks, what do you think is going to happen to the, to the tenants? 
and the Pharisees respond, those wretches will be brought to a wretched end. Like, it's almost like they're sealing, them. like they're saying what's going to happen to them if they continue. Anyway, the point being is, is that, again, it's this scarcity where God created this, this wonderful place for us to exist in. And we have the audacity to think that we have control over it, that we are the inheritors of it, that we are the ones that can, can prevent others from coming and, and taking it from us. Because if they come and take it from us, then we're not going to have anything. And that perpetuates the, the myth of scarcity where it's just like there's not enough to go around. So all of a sudden our mentality towards what we have is this is what I have earned. This is what I deserve as opposed to this is what God has gifted me with. Mm-hmm. How can I use that to, to bless others? Yeah. So so um, we're going to be uh, wrapping up in a, in a couple minutes, but I, I just wanted to ask you the pointed question, is God's love reckless? absolutely ah nice <laughs> yes i was concerned for a second like that that pause in there i didn't know where you were gonna go with that um why do you say absolutely um because it's just so over the top and when you like if you ever get to a space of like embracing that or just being overwhelmed by it like yeah i mean admittedly i'd say from a human perspective um like, I don't know if God would say his love is reckless. Um, right, because I, I think that God would just say, like, I love you, and this is how I love Like, this is, this is normal. Like, this is how God I God would be just like, and? Yeah, this is like, this, did you expect anything different? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely think that God's love is reckless. Um, I think that anybody who disagrees or says that God's love is more calculating hasn't even read the parable of the prodigal son. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to be as bold to say it because there, if you look at the parables and you look at the life of Jesus and the, and the type of love that he is talking about, it, it is reckless. It doesn't make sense. It, it goes against our, our perception of, of uh, value and worth and deservedness, if that's a word. Um, so I don't think you can read the parables that Jesus talks about and not come away with it understanding that, oh, maybe God's love doesn't look like I thought it did, you know? I mean, at the same time, God is God. Why can't God be both calculating and reckless? That's true. And that's a good point because where God, where we see God's love as reckless could just be God's calculated love, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. God knows how great God's love is. And yeah. therefore, while to us it seems extreme, it beyond what we can comprehend but it's still we god knows yeah (laughs) i don't know um so to end with i i wanted to jump to the bridge of the song because there's a specific line in here that i think is actually really really subversive um and i don't think it's i don't know if it was meant to be but i (laughs) i love it um reading politics into the (laughs) oh absolutely okay so here's here's the bridge um There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. What you trying to say? I'm just saying there's been a lot of talk in politics lately about lies and walls. So, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't want to, like, infuriate people like, oh, you're, you're seeing politics where there's no politics or, or whatever, but... If we do think, if we truly do think that God's love is reckless, 
then there is no lie that can stand against and there is no wall that can prevent god from from showing that love um so again i don't know if that was the point of what they were trying to say (laughs) but i think that it's very very poignant to our current political situation because basically what we're dealing with is is fear Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's at the heart of it. It's like we have to fear things that are trying to take away from what we have. So if we do think that God's love is reckless, then we have to speak against that lie that there one that there's not enough, and mm-hmm. two that God's love is not for everyone. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it causes us to question. Like, what barriers do we set up that stop us from loving people or believing that others are lovable or unlovable by God? Yeah. Um, And that's not necessarily a political statement. It's just, like, it's a heart statement. Yeah. Um, And this is the thing I think that I have come to realize about this this whole talk of of, uh, a border wall and stuff like that. Again, this is this is my opinion, so I'm not saying that this is, you know, the entire church or, or whatever. But my opinion is is that if we do truly think and believe that God's love is reckless, then setting up a wall to prevent people from people is actually antithetical to what we're called to do to share that same reckless love with others. So I don't quite understand the rationale from believers that say, like, oh, let's build a wall. Because... Christ like Christ took away any excuse we have of setting up barriers in between us. Sure. And it just it just does not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I like though what you were saying of like it really like it boils down to fear. Hmm. Um and this can sound so Christiany, but like there's that verse that's like perfect love casts out all fear, mm. right? Mm. Um <laughs> So oh, like Amen. Like, it's when we realize, like, how there basically are no bounds to God's love, that should also then mitigate that fear of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. That was great. I I, I don't even want to, like, follow up with that. That was, that's a great place to to wrap up. Um, Well, thank you again, Chrissy, for joining me uh, for this podcast. Um, I really value your your opinion and your thoughts because I think... I think the audience is um, better uh, better blessed by hearing from you. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, as always, my name is Jeff. I am your host of Thursday's Theology. Thanks for listening to this uh, podcast. And happy Valentine's Day. Um, it's kind of weird that I decided to do an episode of Is God's Love Reckless for Valentine's Day? But there you are. Enjoy. Um, and remember... Theology doesn't always have to be difficult. It is simply the study of who God is. Take care. We'll see you next time. If you believe it's true, baby, won't you let the light